Shalom. Today we begin our second unit in Parashat Vayeshev. We'll be doing Psukim 12 through 24. If last week's unit, last week's unit, the setting was in Hebron, today's unit, the setting will be in Shechem and in Dotan. Last class, the opening scene gave us the background to everything that's going to develop in the next, in the future Parashot. It was revealed to the reader the great hatred, we said, that's being festered in Yaakov's household, and the Torah tells us that all were at fault. Yosef is at fault for his self-centered, immature behavior. The brothers are at fault for their lack of tolerance, and Yaakov for creating jealousy amongst his sons. Chazal and Masechet Shabbat criticize Yaakov for his behavior, and they say a father should never show favoritism amongst his sons, for the ex- for amongst his sons, for it is the extra fabric that Yaakov gave Yosef that caused the exile to Egypt. Truth is. Even before Chazal criticized Yaakov, the Torah itself criticizes Yaakov's behavior, but not in Sefer Bereshit. Interestingly, it criticizes Yaakov in Parashat Ki in a halachic unit in chapter 21. In chapter 21, verse 15, I'll read the psukim in Hebrew and then translate. Ki tiyena nashim ha'achat ahuva ve'achat snua v'yaldu lovanim ha'ahuva ve'asnua v'haya ha'ben ha'bchor l'snia v'haya b'yom hanchilot b'na v'tashar hihi elo lo yuchal levaker et ben this, the case is as follows. If a man has two wives, a beloved one and a hated one, and they each bear him children, the hated wife gives birth to the, to the man's firstborn. The man may not prefer the son of the beloved wife as the Bechor. He must prefer the son of the hated wife as he is the Bechor, and he must receive all legal firstborn rights because he is Reshit Ono. He is the son of his first strength and he deserves the, the rights of the Bechorah. It is no doubt that this halacha is clearly built upon and reflecting on the story of Yaakov. This is the case of the story of Yaakov. A man with two wives, a hated one and a beloved one. Only one woman in Tanakh is referred to as Snu'ah, and that is Le'ah. Vayav Hashem ki Le'ah. And with regarding Rachel, it says, Vayehav Yaakov at Rachel Mila'ah. She is loved. Also towards the end of the halachic unit that we just read, it said that a man has to, pref- has to prefer the Bechor, for he is Reshit Ono, for he is his first strength, only one son in Tanakh is described as Yaakov, as a man's first strength, and that is Reuven in the blessings in Parashat Vayechi, Kochi Vereshit Oni. Therefore, there's no doubt that this halacha is a result of seeing what is, what can, preferring a child over another child who does not deserve bracha by a father, create within the family. What can be the results? And the unit that follows immediately in Chumash Dvarim, the case of a man with two wives, is the story of a ben sorer umore, a neno shomer bekol aviv imo, a rebellious child who disregards his, his father. And that's exactly the case in Parashat Ve'yeshev. Immediately after Yaakov preferring Yosef to, uh, to Reuven, the immediate case that we have that follows is a group of ten boys who defy their father's word. Are they not all banim sorerim umorim? And with that introduction, let us begin with Pasuk Yudbet. Verse 12. The brothers go to the city of Shechem to shepherd. Now Shechem is not so close to Hebron. It's, it's quite a walk. It probably takes a, a day or two to get there, I imagine. And the question is, why are they going all the way to graze 
in Shechem. We'll suggest a few possibilities. Number one, they own the city of Shechem. If you recall in Parashat Vayishlach, they had, Yaakov had purchased the city of Shechem for 100 kasita. So he wants to go to his own grazing territory. It's also possible that we get a sense that the brothers want to get as far as possible from the family. They're really pretty much fed up. But thirdly, we have to also see Shechem not only as a place, but as a, what it, what it represents. The city of Shechem is also to be used here metaphorically. It's a city that represents deception, a city that represents murder, a city that represents lack of regard for the to the father, a city that represents violence. All of that in that one word, Shechem. So it's foreshadowing as to where, what city are they going to? We mentioned last class that Yosef is not going to be with the brothers. Yosef, according to the Ramban, who is a Ben's Kunim, and the job of the Ben's Kunim is to look out with the fa- to look out for the father. So that's why Yosef is not grazing out with them. Is not out with the she- with the sheep. Another possibility, according to Shadal, who the the Ketonet Pasim represents a freedom from labor represents royalty and therefore he's exempt from work and that's another reason why Yosef is not out with the brothers and Yaakov in next pasuk pasuk Yud Gimel suggests to Yosef to join his brothers Vayomer Yisrael el Yosef halo achecha roim bishchem lecha veshlachacha lehem Vayomer lo hineni here Yisrael Yaakov tells Yosef your brothers are in Shechem why don't you go to them and Yosef replied I am prepared Notice the change of names once again from Yaakov to Israel. This fits in with what we had said about uh, Rabbi David B. Hoffman, who said when it's going to have national ramifications, when Yaakov sends Yosef to ten angry brothers, that's going to have ram- national ramifications. Vayomer Yisrael el Yosef. Now, why does Yaakov want to send Yosef to his brothers here? There's there's a word that is emphasized here, repeats itself twice here, and that's shalom, shalom. Halo achecha ro'im b'shchem lecha v'shlechecha alehem. And in the next verse he'll say, lech nare'et shlom achecha, shlom hatzon. Go seek peace, seek peace. It seems that maybe Yaakov is sensing that something is not right in the family. And maybe it's not such a good thing that Yosef is separate from the brothers and he should go to them. But immediately we see Yaakov's great dilemma here because he tells him in verse 14, go to them, but come right back. Don't stay too long. He's He wants to reconciliate, but he also loves Yosef and he wants to look out for Yosef. So he says immediately, Hashiveni Davav. Uh, and Yosef says, okay, Yosef agrees. Uh, to go out, to go, to go, um, to go out. He goes from Hebron and he goes to Shechem. And in the next few verses is a story that I think is is the core of this uh, of the chapter, and yet it's a story that is generally not emphasized enough. Verse 15, I'll read verse 15, 16, 17. A man found Yosef, and Yosef had gone astray. And the man asked Yosef, What is it that you seek? And Yosef replied, I seek my brothers. Tell me, where are they shepherding? And the man said they had left, for I have heard them say, let's go to Dotan. And Yosef followed his brothers and found them in Dotan. These, as I said, these last two, these verses add nothing to the plot. 
And yet, they're extremely significant. Why is it important for us to know that Yosef went to Shechem, couldn't find his brothers with Shechem, was given the tip that his brothers are actually in Dotan? Does it add anything to the story? Rashbam tells us that the story is here to tell us of the fine character and greatness of Yosef. Yosef, upon reaching Shechem, had good reason to turn back and go home. Especially since he knows his brothers don't really don't care for him too much. But out of respect for his father, he persistently continued searching for his father, knowing that he is going to brothers that hate him. Ramban brings this explanation as well, but he adds on to this explanation of the Ramban. It's not only to tell us about the important the, the great character of Yosef. Ramban is telling us that this is telling that this whole story is divinely orchestrated. What would have happened had Yosef not met the man? Presumably, had he not met the man, he would have turned back and gone home. The man here is God's intervention in history. Not, the Ramban is saying, not that this man is an angel, like Rashi explains. He's a shaliach shalomidzat. He's a messenger unaware that he's that he of the mission that he carries. He's the right man in the right place at the right time. He's a standbyer who happened to have overheard the brothers talking but this man unknowingly uh, that of, of his mission is the one that's going to give the directions to Yosef. The story is taking place on two realms. Yosef is going to get... The importance of this story, and of this man placed here in the right time, is to tell us that God is orchestrating the story. And we have to understand that the story is really taking place on two realms. Am Yisrael has to get to Mitzrayim one way or the other. That's part of Brit Ben of Tarim. That's part of the covenant of the parts. God is going to put the circumstances in such a way that they could get there. That doesn't mean that man, however, is going to be absolved of his responsibility. God is going to make sure that Yosef gets to his brothers. But that does not mean that the brothers have to sell Yosef. How they behave is up to them. And the, the, this whole, the whole story in this whole chapter is really taking place on two realms. It's taking on the place on the realm of God pulling the strings, making sure that certain circumstances happen. But God does not, is not the one that forces the brothers to sell Yosef. That's the brother's own choice. So God's going to make sure that Yosef reaches his brothers. That's God's intervention in the story. But what happens afterwards, that's up to the brothers. Eventually, one way or the other, they're going to reach Egypt. That's clear. And now let's read, according to Rashi, how does Rashi read the next few psukim? Yosef, the man asks Yosef, what is it that you seek? And Yosef answers, I seek my brothers. By the way, this became the slogan for the... Uh, in the in the eighties, when we there was, I do want to take a minute or two just to focus on a beautiful Rashi here. So first of all, why does Rashi ident Rashi identifies the man as an angel, unlike uh, Ibn Ezra and Ramban, who just see it as a passerby, which is probably more pshat. But I I do want to see what Rashi's rationale in identifying this man as an angel. It says Generally, when someone's lost, the man that's lost is looking for someone. Here, the man is looking for Yosef. So it seems like he is sent to seek out Yosef. So that just wouldn't be a passerby. -er. And another uh, nice Rashi that I would like to point out in verse 16, when the man 
after the man asks Yosef, what is it that you seek? Yosef replies in verse 16, I seek my brothers. Tell me, please, where are they shepherding? And on the words, I seek my brothers, which, by the way, became the slogan for freeing the Jews of the Soviet Union at Achaya Nochim Vakesh. There were stickers in the 80s of with that pasuk at Achaya Nochim Vakesh. But on the words at Achaya Nochim Vakesh, uh, sorry, on the on the re- response of the man to the question of Yosef, I seek my brothers, on the words, they have left this, Nasumi Zeh, Rashi writes, Hesiu Atzman Min Ha'achva. They left brotherhood. Now that really doesn't seem pshat to us. He's saying, where are they? And the man saying they left brotherhood. But Rashi has a very, uh, very, very clear reading of the psukim. Rashi notices that when Yosef talks to the man and tells him what is that he seeks, he's really asking two questions. There are two questions here. One rush, the first question is, I seek my brothers. The other question is, where are they shepherding? The first question is an emotional question. I seek a relationship with my brothers. The second question is a geographical question. So if the first question is a relation, question of relationship, I seek a relationship with my brothers, then what's the answer for that? They left this. They left brotherhood. That's a response for the first question. I seek my brothers. They left this. And notice, it doesn't even say they left here. They left this. The second question, which is a geographical question, where are they shepherding? We get a geographical answer. Where are they shepherding? In Dotan. So Rashi reads very nicely into these two psukim. He reads it as two questions. Two questions require two answers. And the greatness, whether or not Yosef understood what the man was saying, it's possible that the man's speaking, but Yosef is unaware of the depth of his words. Yosef continues to Dotan, which is um, not very far from Shechem, and uh, and he finds his brothers. And verse 18, that we're about to begin onwards, is a conversation that's going to take place between the brothers while Yosef is approaching them. So Yosef, we have a long conversation that's going to be taking place here, but it's all taking place before Yosef even has even approached the brothers. The brothers saw Yosef from afar, and before he came near, they schemed to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Let's, let's kill him, throw his body into one of the pits, and we shall see, we shall say that he has been devoured by an animal, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. How do the brothers recognize Yosef from afar? Soon it's going to become clear, Yosef unwisely is wearing his ketonet pasim. More than seeing Yosef, what the brothers see is the ketonet pasim that coat of Yosef. They refer, the brothers refer to Yosef here derogatory, in a derogatory way, as Baal HaChalomot. This can mean the inventor of the dreams, even though they believe the dreams deep down, but they see, they look at, they prefer to look at Yosef as the one who is the owner of the dreams, the Baal HaChalomot, he who invents the dreams. The brothers plan to kill Yosef and tell the father he has been devoured. The truth is, why do the brothers need to say anything to the father? They could just come home and tell Yaakov, we never saw Yosef. Oh, you sent him to Shechem. We just moved to Dotan. That's why he didn't find us. 
But the brothers fear that if they don't suggest a, an alternative scenario to what had happened to Yosef, to the father, Yaakov will never give up looking for Yosef. And so they say, we have to come up with a plan that will really put an end completely, an, a complete end to Yosef. And the verse uh, ends with the brothers saying, let's throw him into a pit and let's kill him and we'll see what will become of his dreams. Obviously, this is said in irony. Okay, so he's dead. Nothing will become of his dreams. And what the brothers really mean here, by killing Yosef, we are killing the dreams. The brothers feel threatened by the dreams and they want to kill Yosef because of the dreams. Along with killing the dreamer, they are killing his dream. Reuven and Pasuk Aleph. Here's what they say. And he immediately pipes up. Verse 21. Reuven, upon hearing this, saves Yosef from their hands. Now, saves Yosef from their hands doesn't mean literally from their hands, because Yosef is not there yet, but he saves them from their plan. And he says, let's not kill him. And the next verse continues. And Reuven said, don't spill blood. Throw him into the pit here in the, de- in the, in the wilderness and do not, um, do not uh, kill him. And he did this for the sake of saving him from their hands to bring him back home. I want to point out something interesting in verse 21 and 22 that we just read. It said Reuven heard their conversation, their plan to kill Yosef, and he, Yosef, and he saved them, and said, let's not kill him. And then Reuven said, now, generally in Tanakh, if one speaker continues to speak, we don't need inserted in the middle of his speech another, and he said, if it's the same speaker. It could have just said, and Reuven heard, and he saved them, and he said, let's not kill him, don't spill blood, throw him into the pit. Why do we need in verse 22 inserted in the middle of Reuven's speech and Reuven said to him? He's the only speaker here. So what's that extra Vayomer Alehem Reuven? In, a, in an unpublished article by Nechama Libowitz, she writes about this phenomena that she, the title of the article was Vayomer Vayomer. And she gathers there many examples in Tanakh where the same person is speaking and in the middle of his speech is inserted Another, and he said, without the speakers changing in between. And she explains this phenomena is that they will have this second vayomer, and he said, when the speaker pauses and expects a certain reaction, and he does not receive the reaction he was hoping for, and he has to continue to clarify or to modify his words. So let's take this and try to uh, try to apply this to our verses. Reuven tells his brothers, let's not kill him. What's the reaction he's hoping for? He's hoping his brothers would say, okay, let's not kill him. But from the look of his faces, he it's clear to him that the brothers do not accept what he says. Therefore, Reuven has to modify his words. If at first he tells him, let's not kill him, and he's focusing on Yosef, now he revises his words, and he doesn't focus on Yosef, but he refo- he focuses on themselves. Let us not, not shed blood. Let us not be murderers. Let's throw him into the pit. Now he focuses, instead of on Yosef, he focuses on themselves. Let us not be murderers. Our hands shall not shed blood. 
Let's instead throw him into the pit in the, in the wilderness, which will accomplish the same thing as though we had killed him, but it's not first-degree murder. It just we're causing, maybe it's third-degree murder. We would be causing his death. So we won't be caught, and also no one will hear him cry out for help in the wilderness, so, we will, so no one will save him, and we'll reach the same result as if we had killed him, but without having to be actual murderers. And the verse ends that his motivation for all of this is Leman Hatzilo, Reuven said all of this for the sake of bringing Yosef back home for his father. It's very interesting that the narrator is telling us, revealing to the reader what Reuven's true intentions are. Why is the narrator doing this? First of all, so that the reader understands that Reuven is suggesting to throw him to the pit, not for the purpose of killing him, but he really does want to save his life. If we wouldn't have that, that clause here, we wouldn't have known what his intentions are. But more than that, the narrator is revealing to us what are Reuven's true motivations. Reuven's true motivations are not to save Yosef because it is immoral to kill or because he likes Yosef. Rather, the sole reason of Reuven's intervention on behalf of Yosef is to bring him back to his father. It is not because he is compassionate. It is because he is concerned with there's some issue between him and his father, an issue which I'm not going to expand on right now, but we'll get to in our next class. The entire conversation, once again, between the brothers and themselves plotting to kill Yosef is taking place all before Yosef has a... Next week, next class. Let's go to verse 23. Yosef finally arrives. Verse 23, when Yosef arrives by his brothers, they, re, they re undress him of his ketonet, the ketonet pasim which he is wearing. And uh, it's with great, great sadness that the reader reads, and Yosef is coming to his brothers. Here Yosef is coming, thinking, hoping to reconciliate with his brothers, but they are the furthest thing from brotherhood. And we get the sense, this is what mostly bothered the brothers, this ketonet. This is what caused the hatred, is this ketonet. Verse 24, they take him and they throw him into the pit, and the pit is empty, it has no water. Why is it significant that they throw him into a pit that has no water because once they resolved not to kill him they would not have thrown him into a pit with water because that would be drowning him they did not want they want they did not want to kill him in a direct way and so shows that they had purposely have chosen a pit that is not um that it is empty so they won't be killing him in such a direct way we're going to end today at this scene, which is a, sad, a very hard scene. What's interesting also in this chapter, we don't hear Yosef's voice in this, in, 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 in this unit. We only hear the brothers. We don't hear the, anything from Yosef. We don't hear him crying out. We'll only find out much later in the story that Yosef actually did cry out. I had mentioned in yesterday's class, uh, I discussed uh, briefly, Thomas's man's not 1,000 page novel under Joseph and his brothers and he has a beautiful section there of Yosef's 
what what would Yosef be praying and begging of his brothers from the pit? It's definitely something that's uh, we have to use our imagination just to what to to think. What would Yosef as we read this verse of, and think? What Yosef, would Yosef be saying from within the pit? So we leave you. We leave today's class with Yosef alone, dark in the pit. And next week we will follow. Next class we're going to follow the brothers. And what do they do? What's their next step after they've thrown their brother into the pit? Shalom.